I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. The following podcast contains explicit language. I can't believe this is your first time at Dry Bar. I know. I don't know what to do. Should I get the my time? Well, that's what I'm getting. So if you want to be twinsies, yes. <laughs> get the Cosmopolitan. I don't know how to do this. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 18 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we'll talk all things writing with the host of the fantastic podcast, Hashtag Am Writing, Jessica Leahy and KJ Del Antonia. Then we'll have a Hollywood hack that could help land you the job of your dreams. And we'll have a very personal hits and bombs segment. But before we dive in, we have an update. Yes, so many of you responded to our decision to try not to use the word guys, which we talked about in episode 50. Yeah, it turns out it's a bit of a controversial decision, Sarah. Some people are all for it. In fact, many people sent us alternatives for guys, which is very helpful. Indeed. Um, Let's listen to this voice message from Carol. Hey, Liz and Sarah, this is Carol from Nashville, Tennessee, and I have a solution for the dilemma you mentioned in episode 50, how to address a group of people when there's uh, men and women in the group. My solution is to use the word y'all. It works for any group, gender inclusive, it's fun to say, and it works in all situations. So I encourage you to give it a try. And by the way, I love the podcast. Thanks. Well, first of all, Carol, if I sounded like you saying y'all, I would use it all the time. Absolutely. And a lot of people mention the phrase y'all. Yes. Uh, Miranda from our Facebook group wrote that uh, she's a Southerner who regularly uses y'all. But she said, since you might not be able to pull off y'all without accusations of affectation or similarly putting on airs, that last phrase being another Southernism I'm probably (laughs) never going to shake, Folks will serve you well, and folks will certainly appreciate it. Yeah, folks is good. I might try to do y'all. I was in the South for many years. I, can I? You think I can pull it off? Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I will not be saying y'all. <laughs> but folks. I think folks is good. Um, 
But then there are also the people who think that we're overreacting to the whole thing. Yeah, and that we should just keep saying guys. Yeah. A lot of people said it's a regional colloquialism. We should just, you know, chill out. But my thing is, I actually don't think it's regional. I think guys is everywhere. Yeah, which is evidenced by the fact that the dictionary definition, which several people sent us, (laughs) states that guys is gender neutral and can be used to refer to groups of men and women. Yeah, which is true. Um, But the fact that the dictionary says that it's proper for me still doesn't mean that it's right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're writers. Words are our thing. We're extra aware of the power that words wield. Um, and for me, it's kind of the larger issue of language elevating men over women and subsuming women to men. Yes. And our listener, Kelly, agrees with that, Sarah. She wrote, I'm originally from Iowa and say guys all the time for mixed gender groups. I've been trying to stop, especially after reading about research that found that starting in third grade, girls believe that when a teacher uses guys, it doesn't include them. I read about this last summer while teaching For the Girls, a creative writing camp all about feminism for middle school girls. Since then, I've attended a teacher training on gender issues, and the leaders agreed that guys isn't great and recommended something like you all or friends when teaching. This is to get away from boys and girls, too, which excludes non-binary folks. Folks, that's another one I'm trying to get into the habit of using. Liz, no mention of peeps. Also, I encourage everyone to stop using ladies. It seems to have become more popular these days, and I cringe every time I hear it. Why hasn't the term gentleman, which pairs with ladies, also come back into style? In my first women's studies class in 1983, we learned that ladies is a paternalistic term, and it has so many gender stereotypes associated with it. It's funny to think about now, but it was a big deal then for us to refer to women as women rather than girls, ladies, or something worse. At the gender training, one participant shared that she was at a party and asked a group of women, can I get you ladies a drink? She was shocked that being called ladies pissed them off. (laughs) (laughs) We get called ladies a lot. Yeah, and it does grate on us a little bit. Yeah, it does. Um, Better than girls, though. Much better than girls and better than gals. I don't like gals either. Well, my point in terms of saying, yes, guys can refer to uh, a mixed gender group is, well, then why can't gals? I mean, how would... How would it be if I walked into a room full of men and women and said, "Okay, gals, who's ready to go to lunch? Right. Um, If we can if guys is that, then gals should also be that. So I think I'm going to start that movement. Right. I like I'm going to start calling everybody gals. Yeah. Um, I read in one article similar to that, that if there's a group of women in French, it's L. And as soon as one man comes, it becomes il. It becomes Mm. she to the masculine pronoun. That's called erasing women, my friends, and I don't like it. So, you know, that's French, but it's the same kind of idea in English. Um, We're going to post some articles about this on our website, happierinhollywood.com, for anyone who wants to do a little light reading about about (laughs) gender terminology, (laughs) unintentionally sexist language. Um, And next up, we'll talk to the delightful hosts of Hashtag Am Writing, KJ Dale Antonia and Jessica Leahy. But first, a word from our sponsor. 
Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Sarah, let's dive into our segment from the treadmill desks of in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And today, that's this life we've chosen, the writer's (laughs) life. Oh, my. Yes. And we are very lucky to have two fellow writers here to dive into the writing muck with us. We have KJ Delantonia and Jessica Leahy, hosts of the podcast Hashtag Am Writing. You guys, welcome. welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Thank, Thank you, you for being here with us in L.A. It's a long way for you guys. It is, but it's uh, it's been really fun because, the you know, we have no flowers yet. We have no green grass. We have no leaves on the trees back in New Hampshire. So this is a treat for us. Yeah, yeah. you guys live. We're kind of opposites. We're like, you know. Two women on this side of the table, two women on that side of the table. We're living in Los Angeles, and you guys are in, like, pretty rural New Hampshire, right? Very rural New Hampshire. And we, you know, there's what we live about a mile away from each other mm-hmm. and there's about four houses mm-hmm. in between us and a lot if of I'm, woods. If and, I want to yeah. walk to her house, I go up a road and through a meadow and then over <laughs> a hill and through another meadow and through the woods. And On the I'm other hand, house. there's no dry bar within. No. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there are disadvantages. I'm going to the dry bar this afternoon. So are we. Of, okay, We're yeah, going to one this go evening. go when you're in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I was going to start with like a joke about the idealized writer's life of like hot tea and misty mornings, but... Uh, like, I think that actually is your life. Um, yeah, I mean, well. for the most part, <laughs> our, our, we really uh, don't. I don't get out of slippers most days if I'm staying home. The other thing is it's it's really about a 30-minute drive to get to anything yeah. else, uh, groceries, anything like that. So, in fact, so much so that when we uh, when one of us goes out, we have sort of this little texting triumvirate. It's KJ and myself and, and another writer, actually, a, a romance author, Serena Bowen. So if we're going anywhere, we text and we say, I'll be out and about. Anyone need anything? Because it really is 30 minutes for another person to go out and, you know, get yeah. their stuff. So Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, wow. in hashtag am writing, you guys really break down the writer's life. The it's, nitty gritty. It, you talk about everything from editing, writing proposals, um, you know, finding an agent. I mean, every aspect of the writer's life. And so what, you know, we talk, it's interesting because we talk about it from a Hollywood perspective. You guys talk about it from your sort of, you know, isolated perspective. Is that what made you start it because you wanted a community feel? I think we, well, number one, we're huge podcast fans. I mean, okay. that's, that's sort of the genesis of this whole thing. And then, um, 
it's been a wonderful way to have to sit down once a week and talk to each other about what we've been doing. And then since then, between the podcast and we have a Facebook group, the hashtag AmWriting Facebook group, there's suddenly this incredible community of writers supporting each other, asking questions. Oh, I've got this new research project. So now we're getting, you know, this wonderful sort of uh, feedback loop where we're getting, oh, what are people concerned about this week? Or, you know, is someone having a question about should I, you know, hire a publicist for my forthcoming, you know, my upcoming um, book release? That might be my question. That might be KJ's question. To which I say no. (laughs) It's an evolving, it's definitely an evolving question for us. But what's been interesting is I think especially as we are both freelancers for the most part, um, you know, that's cobbling together a a writing life is uh, it's the dream, but it's also really hard. And there is a lot of, you know, we talk about taxes. We talk about that kind of stuff on there. Yeah, the mechanics of well, what we always say the mechanics of just sitting down and getting the work done and also getting the work out there. Mm -hmm. It's like you guys know, you guys talk about the mechanics of, well, you know, how do you write your first screenplay and what goes on the cover and you know, how do you get it out there and how do you ask someone to listen to it? And we talk about like, mm-hmm. well, if you've got a pitch, do you send the whole article or do you only send part of it? Do you send it to more than one editor at a time or only one at a time? There are just details that, you know, if we don't share them with each other, there's no school to go to it to also, learn this stuff. I think it also helps that Serena, sort of our third, is um, she's self-published and mm-hmm. she's an extremely yep. she's an extremely uh, successful self-published author and she's also an economist from Yale. Published. Yeah, and traditionally oh. published. But she has a degree in, econ- in economics from Yale. And so I count on her for, you know, no, here's how this really works. Here's what the ROI should look like in this. Here's how, let me give you the breakdown of how that, um, she loves to break down, you know, how sites decide what to show and what not to show. And she digs in. She loves doing all that research. I send her like my my royalty statements and she'll send me back, okay, let me make a spreadsheet for you and show you, make this clear (laughs) for you. Yeah, she's just really cool. Well, that's what I love about am writing because writing is both sort of this inspirational, cerebral, mm-hmm. kind of idealistic thing that we do by ourselves. But then it's just going to sit there if you don't have that practical side to the economics, mm-hmm. the logistics are just as important, if not sometimes more important. And branding yourself oh, now, God, right? Yeah. Is that the big buzzword? Yeah. Branding yourself? I think I think it's really easy to get frustrated by, you know, we hear now that in order to sell a book, you have to have a platform. In order to, so we have these, KJ and I handle marketing and publicity in two pretty different ways. I go out there and I get up on stages and I talk at schools and KJ's handling it in a very different way. And I think giving people um alternatives, talking about different ways to do things. And then because we really like to aim our advice at people who are just getting started, KJ and I talk a lot of every single episode. We have um, a segment called Hashtag Mistakes I've Made. And we talk every time about how we, what we've screwed up, what we would do differently next time. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty open about that stuff. Um, so I think that, that, that the feedback we get tends to be, I'm so grateful that you said you're still getting rejections. Like I just uh-huh. sort of assumed you get to a certain place oh, and then geez. you don't get rejected anymore or something you know, like that. We don't, we don't talk very much about the craft of storytelling, and I, you guys don't really either. Like we, we're all that's true. Yeah, I guess it's kind of hard to talk about. I don't even know. I don't. I don't it, know how to 
put that into the conversation. Well, I'm fascinated when you, I mean, I want to know the stuff you guys talk about, like the idea of going into a pitch meeting. I just, it's, I can go there in my mind, but I don't know actually what happens in those meetings. You hear about those meetings, but that's why I love what you guys talk about. Yeah. And we try to break it down for people because we remember, I mean, like you're saying with your audience, we remember when we started and we knew nothing. I mean, we'd never even heard of the concept of a pitch and to then go in and have to sit in front of executives and try to sell yourself and your show was beyond terrifying, which by the way, it still is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I do think it's like with law school, okay, you take the LSAT, you apply to law school, you go to law school, you get a summer associate job, and then you try to get a job at a firm or the DA's office or wherever. There is a clear path. There is no clear path in writing. And that's why I feel like you guys give a path. I mean, it may not be linear, Mm -hmm. you know, because everyone has different ways that they do it, like you're saying, you both market differently. But this idea that questions can be answered and that other people have done it, I think, is is so reassuring. And you guys have done it so successfully. It's like one thing to have a podcast about wanting to be about writing when you're not successful writers, but you are, which I think gives people hope. Well, and the thing I like is we talk about the fact that, you know, everyone's got maybe that crappy first piece of writing in the drawer. And many people would say, you know, it's just supposed to stay there in the drawer. And I'm like, no, we should package that and sell it as essays. So you can, and here's how you do that. Here's how you decide where to send those essays. And maybe you can, you know, get a few paychecks out of that. Mine is staying in the drawer. (laughs) (laughs) I think mine is too, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, our tagline, you know, keeping your butt in the chair and your head in the game, that's really... Um, that's what the podcast does for me um, on a you know weekly basis. I know that I'm going to need to talk about is I'm accountable now to an audience of people. I'm accountable to KJ. I'm accountable to Serena. But we also are going to talk about what we've been up to. So, And how do you individually get yourselves to focus on writing? Because you have the ponies and, you know, like there's this whole life out there pulling at you. How do you make yourselves focus on what you need to do? Um, well, I think probably like you, and it took a, took a while to get there, but we're professionals. This is how this is how we make our living, and you know, every day. I don't know. For me, it's very much become either you're somebody who writes every day. You're either a writer, either do it or don't. Isn't that uh, Steve Pressfield? Either do it or don't. So I write There's every a- single day. But that's a question I have for you guys. So sometimes you're writing and there's the script and you're like in there but sometimes you're you know watching the script be created or you're pitching the script so you don't have that rhythm how do you keep the ability to go back and do the writing part when you have to spread yourselves in so many different ways that would be harder for me i think not having the daily thing yeah well, the biggest thing, honestly, I think is that there's two of us yes so there's always someone who you know is going to be like, all right, we have to sit down and talk about this. We're obligers. We have that accountability (laughs) thing that we have to constantly deal with. But then it made me think of, um, you know, we were shooting the pilot, but we have to do this series document, um, which is like a big document that that you give to the network with the actual pilot when you turn it in. And it's hugely important. And it requires a tremendous amount of creative thinking. But it's exactly what you're saying. We've been totally focused on prepping it and shooting it and cutting it and the music and everything else. And Liz the whole time was like, I got nothing. We have nothing for this series document. There's I nothing no we can put in. There's a, no there's nothing is going to happen. We just It's going to be nothing. Um, and like fully believing that and like super stressed about it. And then we sat down. It's really about like creating the space and the time 
for that, I think, because mm-hmm. as soon as we sat down with Marsha, it was just like everything flows. There's that. I've noticed the same thing, too, that there's that mental hurdle that this is bigger. It's bigger in the anticipation of doing yes. it than actually sitting down and opening the document and then saying, oh, no, this is manageable. I just move my fingers on the keys and get something yeah. started. Well, knowing you have it in you. And I guess if there's two of you. There's really no such thing as writer's block. <laughs> yeah, I think that's well, a parenting thing. As soon as we had kids, Liz is like, no more writer's block. Yeah, that's I don't gone. have time yeah. for writer's no. block. Um, speaking I of parenting. only have this. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. yeah. Absolutely. That's us, too. I only have this much time. Right. And this is getting out. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how fast you can write 10 pages <laughs> if you have, like, a toddler um, mm-hmm. taking a nap. <laughs> Um, but speaking of parenting, we wanted to ask you guys about your you guys both write about parenting. KJ, you have a book coming out called How to Be a Happier Parent. Uh, when is it coming out? August 21st. Okay. You can pre-order it, but that's yes. when you, it'll be and actually which would be available. lovely. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. How to Be a Happier Parent, it's called. And Jess, you wrote The Gift of Failure, um, mm-hmm. which is a parenting Bible for many. After Me hearing included. you speak, I realized my son had never brushed his own hair. Um, <laughs> so that, you know, I have to let him fail at that. Um, but how, we're curious, has writing about parenting made you guys better parents? I, I, I It's funny. We talk about this a lot. Um it definitely makes me think about my motivations more. I pause more. I do. I will say that there are moments, and and I have to say, there's also those moments where my 14 year old in particular turns to me and he's like, "You know, you're doing the exact opposite of what you tell people to do, right? Mm. You know that you always they use you. my own words against me, which <laughs> just seems so wrong." I pitched an article which no one has jumped on because I guess it's too meta, but that was called, you know, writing about parenting when you're not always that good at parenting. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. My, my book's no memoir. Hers isn't either. It's all very research-based, and this is what you should do. And there are some things we get right, and there are some things we don't get right. But one thing I know from interviewing people, when Jess wrote her book, that was when she realized that her child had never tied his own shoes. Mm. He was nine, and he couldn't mm-hmm. tie his own shoes, which was that moment where you realize, oh, wow, this high horse I'm sitting on as a teacher of 20 years because that's <laughs> mm-hmm. where this started. I was really angry at the parents of my students. Mm. And the view, as I say, was lovely for my high horse until I realized uh, that my own son. And then there's issues. another parent, another woman who's written a book about parenting, Julie Lithcott Hames. And uh, she, her kids didn't do chores until she wrote how to I believe she adult. cut her son's meat too. That was another thing she admits. I to. cut my son's meat, and he doesn't do chores. So well, I need that book as her well. Her kids might have been a little older. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it was you know as I was writing, you know, I'm trying to learn to be a happier parent. That's my whole goal. I don't want to do more. I don't want to be more mindful. I just want to be happier about what's going on. And two of my children were in the throes of such a long-term sibling battle that there would be days when I would just be like, I'm going to have to give the advance back. <laughs> oh, well, I will never be happier. <laughs> we're like, yeah, you're like, we're only going down. But see, oh. the thing that's so nice, I think, about the two of us talking about this stuff a lot, and KJ was my editor for three years when I had a column at the New York Times called the Parent Teacher Conference. She was my editor. So for me, the thing I love most about her book about how to be a happier parent and about talking with KJ about these things is that, you know, I can get really deep into the weeds. As parents, we can get really deep into the weeds. And then um, KJ just has this way of turning it around and saying, have you thought about it this way? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did I... 
How did I not think about it that way? I wrote an article once where my son had conveniently forgotten how to do everything. Like he'd forgotten. He, I know he knew how, knew how to do laundry. I know he knew how to do all these things. And things were falling apart and he was disorganized again. And KJ, we're just walking along. KJ said, think about where he was six months ago. And it was like, you know, all of a sudden the sky broke open and the sun came back out. And that's what I love about her. The way she talks about parenting is, you know, it's so easy to get so deep in the weeds. It's so easy to get negative. But what if we thought about it this way? And do you have it? Like, is there one overarching thing you could tell us a hint from the upcoming book, um, how to be a happier parent? You know, there there are certain things that people who are happier in their areas of parenting do and they um, they are able to recognize, they're able to spot and absorb good moments, no matter how small. They tend to move from helping more as their children are younger into helping less as their children get older. They know, um, I call it, they know what's a tiger and what's not. And almost nothing that threatens your child in your mind is an actual tiger. So that's big. Mm. Oh, God, and I need to hold on to that. Yeah. Everything feels like a tiger to Nothing, me. it's probably, you know, it's really almost, I mean, realistically, not getting into the college of your choice, not a tiger. You know, a, a battle with, uh, the, 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 when you get dumped by your best friend mm-hmm. in middle school, it's not a tiger. It's all right. You can still be you and be happy when your kids are, you know, yeah. so, and you need to be because they shouldn't be responsible for your emotions. Right. So I my, think that's my really favorite. She has yeah. these things called her mantras, her parenting mantras. And my favorite one is um, you don't always have to say something. If you see something, you yeah. don't always have to mm. say something. That's one of my favorites. But here's and, the big one. Like, here's what I really like to tell people is, you know, I, your kids' needs shouldn't come first unless they're bleeding. You're the grown up. And, you know, you have you, you need to get out there and, make, get and do your work. You need to have your job. You need to relax and you need to choose your meals and you need to choose your vacations. And and it's good for our kids to see us having lives outside of theirs. There's a st- former student of mine whose parents were just completely enmeshed in everything. Her life was like every they had they didn't have their own lives. And I was talking to her about going away to college and she was really anxiety ridden about mm-hmm. her parents. She said, I'm really worried about my parents when I go off to college. I don't know what they're going to do with themselves. And that's such a burden on the kids. It is. Yeah. So a happier parent is a happier family, is happier kids, is happier parents. And it's just a circle. So you're saying I don't need to feel guilty about, like, having missed so much of my son's life while we were making this pilot. He's he's <laughs> he's having a great time. Okay, Does he good. know that you would be there if it was, like, the most important thing to him if ever? If you were bleeding, you'd yeah. be there. Yes. If you were bleeding, you would that. be there. Yes. yes, absolutely. Well, on that note, Jess and KJ, thank you guys so much for being here today. It's so fun to talk to you. And everybody, please subscribe to hashtag AmWriting wherever you find your podcasts. It really, if you want to be a writer, do yourself a favor, listen to this. And if you are a writer, for God's sake, listen, because it really has so much advice and also just support, morals, you know, just moral support for keeping your, as you guys say, your butt in the chair and your head in the game, which is one of my favorite taglines of all time. Well, thank you. Well, we're super fans, so we're pleased to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. Next up, Sarah and I have a Hollywood hack that could help you land the job of your dreams. But first, an ad break. Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. 
the less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. So, Liz, this week's Hollywood hack is state the obvious. Mm. Now, this came up because we have been doing a lot of interviews. We've been interviewing a lot of writers just in case our show gets picked up. We're going to have to staff it really fast. So we are just meeting with a bazillion people so that we're ready to jump. Yeah, meeting a lot of great people. Um, but one thing we noticed, like, if is that some people don't state the obvious, which is that they liked the script at least. Now, I mean, maybe they didn't. In which case, why are they there? I guess is right. our question. Right. Um, but if they, so we we sort of assume, okay, if you show up for a meeting, it means you like the script and you potentially want to work on this show. And if you don't just even if not say I like it, but say I found this character interesting or that character interesting, then we, the second you walk out the door, start going, well, did she not like the script? Did he not like the script? Because it seems like the obvious thing to say kind of when you walk in the door. Right. And I would say that this is something that applies to any job interview you're going to. Yes. You know, say you want the job yes. and say why you want the job and like the company that you want to work for. Yes, because you may think it's obvious and you may think, well, gee, I don't want to sit here and like state the obvious when everyone knows that I want this job. I'm at a job interview. But for the person you're talking to, we don't necessarily know if you want the job. Well, and we assume you're going to 20 yeah. job interviews. Um, and wanting it makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. It's our thing, volunteers, not recruits. Yeah. We're looking for volunteers. And if we don't sense that you really want to be part of the staff, you're going to go way down on the list because we really want people who want to be there. Because, yeah. you know, we've worked with people who don't want to be there, and it's a drag. <laughs> exactly. All right. So state the obvious. If you want something, if you want the job, say it. Next up, we're going to have a little different take on our Hits and Bombs segment today. Sarah had a horrible bomb drop on her life this week, and she's going to share that with us. Um, Okay, Sarah, so this is going to be um, hard to talk about, the crying segment of our show. Um, You had, like, a horrible bomb happen to you this week, unexpectedly. Your dad died. Um, yeah, so this week, so this week my dad died, which is obviously a, um, a horrible bomb to drop. Um, and I wanted to kind of approach the hits and bombs segment this week, um, by talking about 
what has been um, a really helpful and meaningful hit connected to the loss of my dad, which is all of the people who have reached out in so many different ways. Um, Mary sent me flowers, which just made me cry. I walked in um, from our, my first day back at work, and there were flowers from Mary. And I, one, I felt old because I thought, wow, she has good parents. <laughs> um, and um, so many people left me messages. I couldn't listen to them, honestly, for a few days. I just couldn't bear it. But to look at my phone and see um, the names of the people who had left me messages really helped. Um, and texts, and um, I posted on Facebook. And so many people from all the different areas of my life, literally from grade school and high school and college and Teach for America and L.A., everyone made comments. And I know when I see people posting about a loss that they've suffered on Facebook, I always comment, but I always think, like, this is so, um, I don't know, facile, not going to be meaningful. Um, and I really want to say that it is, and it really has helped. Um, so I'm really grateful to to all of those people. Yeah, I mean, I've loved looking at your Facebook posts and, you know, seeing from people, words from people we went to high school with. And um, it's nice to know that people still care about you and you still have a community, even if it's not right there in your backyard. Right. And one of the things that a lot of people said um, was, may his memory be a blessing. Yes. Um, which, of course, it is. Um <sighs> So I thought I would tell one story about my dad that is Hollywood-related, um, because my dad loved movies, and whenever I would visit him and my stepmom, we'd go to see a movie together. Um, and he always talks in movies, uh, which just drove me crazy. He would ask questions or make comments, and not whispering, like full voice, <laughs> and I would just be mortified. Um, so this is a memory from 1998, and I was in Kansas City for the holidays, about to move to Los Angeles. This would have been um, right uh, around the time you and I went out for beers and I decided to bail on my life in New York and move with you to L.A. Exactly. So I remember this that trip very well. night. Um, so I went to a movie with my dad and it was such a stressful time. I was so nervous. My whole life was in boxes and I was moving from North Carolina to L.A. And, you know, we didn't grow up in L.A. We really didn't know this industry. We've talked about how green we were. Um, and it was all just a huge mystery. We didn't know anyone here but our high school friend, Todd. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what the hell I was doing or what I was going to do when I got here. And I was terrified. Um, I was putting on a brave face, but I mean, I really was scared. So I go to this movie with my dad and the lights go down and he leans over and I think, oh, God, he's going to talk in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I think it's really neat that you want to make movies. Because at the time, I didn't know that TV was better for, <laughs> for writers than, than movies are. Um, and as soon as he said that, everything lifted. You know, I was still scared because I was no dummy. But, um, but I wasn't <laughs> terrified. And he gave me courage when I really needed it. 
It was just one sentence, but fuck. Gucci shoes, Gucci shoes. <laughs> it was just one sentence, but it was the one that I needed to hear. So, thank you, Dad. Liz, the credits are on you. <laughs> and I just want to say, your dad made the first steak I ever ate, Sarah. I refused to eat steak until I smelled the steak your dad made. And it was still the best steak I've ever had and in my life. it was something else. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. A special thanks to Jess and KJ from Hashtag Am Writing. You can listen to their podcast at www.jessicalahey.com slash amwritingpodcast or anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Thanks to our producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. Thanks to the awesome ad team at Panoply. Thank you to our assistant, Mary Merkins, for helping us juggle the insanity of our writer's life. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft, and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, remember when your dad brought ribs all the way from Kansas City for your birthday? I do. I asked him if he could, like, pack some up in dry ice and uh, just, like, mail them here, you know, FedEx or something. And instead, he got a plane ticket, went to Bryant's, went to Gates, which are the two, like, great barbecue places. Where you and I would always argue over what was better. Well, yeah, because Bryant's is better. Gates. (laughs) (laughs) But he came. He flew out with, like, giant packs of... uh, of barbecue. (laughs) That was was so fun. Yeah, that was a good party.